Hey, I'm Mike Joseph, and thank you for listening to Detoxicity, a show by men, about men, but for everyone. I hope you enjoy the content of this podcast, and I want to let you know about a few things you can do to support us and our mission to challenge traditional notions of masculinity and create a more communicative, positive, and loving environment for all. You can subscribe to Detoxicity on any podcast platform that you use to listen. We are available just about everywhere. Also, don't hesitate to rate and comment as these help us move up in the podcast rankings. I'm on social media, or at least I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Feel free to drop me a follow. Now I have a Patreon page, yay! And uh, Patreon gives you the opportunity to get cool merch and exclusive episodes of this podcast in exchange for subscribing. Go to patreon.com slash detoxicitypod to find out more. Uh, finally, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, whether you found an episode of the podcast particularly enjoyable or enlightening, or you know someone who'd be a great guest, or you'd like to offer constructive criticism, or if you yourself would like to be on the podcast, hit me up. Reach out to me at one of the aforementioned social media channels, or if you're old school like I am, drop me an email, detoxpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and take care. Hey everyone, so I am very happy to welcome Robert Brooks Cohen to the podcast and Rob does many things um, he is a writer for television and congratulations the strike is over I hope everyone is back to work and uh, Rob has also just recently published a book uh, it is called bisexual married men stories of relationships acceptance and authenticity he hosts a podcast called two by guys you can probably infer from that information what the majority of this episode is about. Um, it's about Rob's journey, uh, uh, discovering his, or coming to terms with his bisexuality, and how that sort of plays out in his regular world existence. And uh, he is so open and so authentic, and um, he uses his experience to uh, 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 model behavior for other people who are going through uh, similar things. Uh, bisexuality is still such a taboo topic, particularly for men, um, you know, who uh, are still, you know, challenged by notions of homophobia. And, you know, for a bisexual person that is married to a woman, um, you know, not to say that women can't be homophobic as well. Um, so there is a whole bunch of stuff at play there, and Rob talks about it so eloquently. Uh, he also uh, spills some Law & Order tea, uh, which is fantastic because I am an SVU stan. Um, but uh, it, enough of me talking. Listen to the podcast. This is Robert Brooks Cohen. My name is Rob Cohen. I'm a writer, creator, author now, podcast host, I have mostly been a TV writer for my career. I wrote for Law & Order SVU and some other things that no one's ever heard of. And <laughs> then after that, I created a podcast called Two Bi Guys because I was coming out as bisexual and I was looking for resources and couldn't really find anything that I connected with and that I thought was relevant to my story. So my friend Alex and I, created it and we started the podcast talked about bisexuality masculinity and that project has kind of snowballed into other things it um it led to an oral history project about bi married men which turned into a book which is coming out in november 2023 that's all about this hidden population of married by men who are married to women and right. particularly invisible. And I'm now writing TV scripts and other things about that topic too. I'm hoping to develop those things. So it's all sort of blended together. But yeah, that's who I am and what I do, basically. That's, that's a lot. Congratulations on the book. It'll be out by the time this airs. So cool. uh, everybody listening, pick up the book. This is a big question and you can answer it as succinctly or as drawn out as you would like. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of this is also going to be in the book, but what is your, I don't know if it's an origin story or what was your journey as a bisexual man? It was, yeah, there's a lot. I've yeah. talked about the journey for years now and I'm still unpacking it and uncovering it, but definitely as a bi man, I wasn't totally aware of my sexuality or queerness for many, many years. Until close to age 30, I identified as straight and I didn't really 
question it that much. Looking back, there were things that I should have and that caused me internal conflict, but I didn't really know what it was. I wasn't actively keeping myself closeted. I was really just focusing on the straight side of me because that side was there. It was real. And that part felt fine and natural and it fit. So I just kind of leaned into that. And I didn't, at the beginning, I didn't even realize I was suppressing other feelings and fluid attractions. But over time, it just built up and I became more and more aware of those thoughts and feelings. And I eventually was getting close to 30 and wanted to not have that live in my head forever, but to actually experience it and live fully and do the things I had always thought about. And once I did that, my brain didn't explode. Everything was fine. None of the terrible things I had imagined in my head came true. I was just like, oh, this is a new experience. And what exploring with men helped me realize was that it felt so similar to me, to being with women, that it wasn't this categorically different thing, that each person is different, but that intimacy and sex is like, to me, gender didn't matter that much. It can change the experience, but it wasn't categorically different. And so once I kind of experienced that fully in my body, I explored it more. And it was pretty quick process of coming out. I mean, it was still a year or two of figuring it out and talking to people about it. But once it clicked in my head, it happened pretty quickly. And then once I was out, the podcast sort of happened pretty quickly. And coming out more publicly and talking about it has really just helped me get comfortable with myself in my own life, in areas of my life that are not public facing. Being so out really just helped me embrace authenticity and be myself more fully in many different ways. So I'm glad that the podcast has helped other people, but mostly it helped me uh, just pushing myself to be out there and talk about stuff publicly helped me get really comfortable with all of it. I'm smiling because you mentioned the podcast and you're like, well, I'm glad this podcast helped other people, but mostly it helped me. And I have said (laughs) the exact same thing about this podcast. So Mm -hmm. maybe everybody who has a podcast is really doing it for themselves and helping other people as a welcome bonus. Right. Um, right. But that's really interesting. I, and I'm thinking about this through the lens of my own queer journey. I, I'm not a five-star gay, but I'm like a 4.5 star gay. Okay. You know, I have certainly had sexual encounters with people of all genders and no genders. I don't consider myself bisexual because I don't actively look to date women. I think in certain play situations, woman's there, maybe something will happen, maybe something won't, you don't know romantically, eh, yeah, romantically is the right word. I am almost exclusively attracted to men. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at this through my queer journey, and I think bisexual guys get the short end of the stick in a lot of ways. And I say this also as someone, you know, Generation X, born and socialized with a very different idea of what sexuality meant than maybe people who are 15 to 20 years younger. Mm-hmm. People make space, obviously, for straight people. There is the assumption that if people are non-binary or uh, genderqueer in any kind of way, then they're also sexually queer. So there's that. There's the assumption, not the truth, but the assumption. Bi women generally don't. There's the whole, like, we experimented in college thing, which people see as sort of, like, standard. And then there's also the stereotype of women who play with other women as, as a form of male arousal. Right. Right. Bisexual men. A lot of the gay men that I encountered when I was first starting to come up, come out, viewed by guys as like gays in training. Like the first step to coming out is saying you're bisexual and then you're full on. And it's only like over the past 10 years or so, as I have also sort of come out as poly and entered circles that are very sex positive 
and queer in all sorts of different ways. And even I really accepted the idea or understood the idea of bisexual men existing. And now that I know that exists, I feel like most guys are somewhere on that spectrum. Yeah. Well, a lot of what you just said resonates with me. And that is how I think of it. And and to be honest, I've actually seen a big shift in even the last five, six, seven years since I came out. When I first come, came out, I did hear a lot of that attitude from gay men, some biphobia, some you're on your way to gay, not really believing that there's this space in the middle. And that was hard. I do think by people get the short end of the stick. And no matter how good it gets in the future, you're going to encounter that attitude from both the straight side and the gay side. It's right. this dual discrimination. But I do think in since I came out, I've seen a shift. I don't hear that attitude as much from gay men. And actually, what I'm hearing more just the past few years is gay identified men who are recognizing or interested in exploring some amount of fluidity. And it often sounds like what you just said, which is like, I'm mostly romantically attracted to other men, but in a certain situation or with a certain person in the right context, I'm seeing this fluidity in my sexuality also. And just looking at gender, maybe a little bit less binary. And so I, I think what would be great is like to have that flexibility within a gay label also. Like there's things about a bi label and versus a gay label that sort of change your cultural identity. And maybe people don't want to do that for good reason because they identify culturally with the gay label and the community, but they want to have the possibility of that fluidity. And I think that's great, whatever your label is. I've noticed that too. And I, been part of that, I think a lot more people are just leaning on queer as an all-encompassing term yeah. because how do you explain sexuality? It's it's a variable. Right. You can be attracted to many different things at many different times. And I think the black and whiteness of it all is it's limiting and it's a false narrative almost in a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I was actually just interviewing someone for my podcast earlier today, and we talked about the bi label versus the queer label. And we were both talking about how the bi label is really useful in certain contexts, and politically it's useful, and for visibility, it's really powerful because bisexuality is so hidden. But we both have felt this evolution toward a queer label over time that for me, that label f- feels better overall. When I'm not trying to do a podcast or make a point about bisexuality, I usually identify as queer in my normal daily life because what that signals, the non-normative aspect of my sexuality and gender and non-heteronormative, that is a more important part of me than the specific version of queerness and connecting with the whole queer community is valuable rather than necessarily distinguishing all the different communities within it. That's it. There's a place for both, but the queerness and the connection to that full community is really valuable to me these days. And how have you made those investments in community? I'm imagining you came out to yourself And then you were like, well, where the fuck do I find people? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, one of the first things I did before I came out to any friends, but after I was exploring sex with men, I went to a discussion group in New York City called By Request. And I walked by it a couple times, too scared to go in (laughs) on my way home from work. And I just scoped out the LGBT center without entering. But then after, I think, one or two times of walking by, I went in and it was really a transformative experience to be in a room of people, not just reading things online, but to literally be sitting there, see them, hear them, and for them to see me. And to, you know, I walked in a little uncomfortable, but by the time I left, I felt totally fine about being there. And I didn't plan to speak up, but I did because the topic was interesting. 
the topic of my first meeting. We were talking about Kevin Spacey, which in hindsight, super heavy, complicated topic to yeah. talk about. Oh yeah. But but it was relevant and it was in the news and I had thoughts. So it forced me to speak up in a way and I'm glad I did. And I don't know, something about being in a physical space with other bi people and hearing it normalized and hearing people be okay with it and celebrate their bisexuality and they've come to terms with it already. That was helpful for me to see the path forward. And then I kept going to that group. I'm on the leadership committee of that group now. And it just kind of snowballed from there. The more out I was, the more communities I found. I moved to LA and I'm part of a couple bi groups in LA. I'm part of a poly group in LA now too and have poly community. And I just put myself in more queer spaces. I went to the LGBT center for other kinds of events. I started going to gay bars and queer bars and other spaces and meeting people and just developing community naturally through putting myself in those spaces. And then the podcast happened and that has created its own little community as well. And because I control the social media accounts, I get a lot of messages from people listening to the podcast and a a ton of married men who are with women. That topic really resonated, which is why I'm writing the book. But I realized that if so many of these men are writing to me personally and telling me their whole story in a DM, which is great, but I'm kind of like, oh, I think these men are lacking a community. Like we're creating something here, but I want to expand on that. I want it to be more than just DMs between me and 100 people, but those 100 people don't know that they're not necessarily connecting with each other. Right. Right. So that's sort of been my mission with the book and the project is create more awareness that this is really common and hopefully that will help people build that kind of community. I think that's really important. A, people need people to model behavior in order to get them to kind of accept themselves in a lot of cases. And I think the next step from there really is interacting in person with other three-dimensional human beings as opposed to screens or whatever that can kind of serve as as an ear to kind of walk them through the process or walk with them through the process. Right. It's really different. And the internet is great and it can help people recognize things and understand things intellectually. And without the internet, who knows if I would have even got to the point where I walked into that meeting. But keeping things up here and on the computer screen, there's still a bit of distance, no matter how much you read and how many people you DM with. Being in person with people really helped me accept myself and feel that in my body and be comfortable putting myself out there. And so it was really important to do it in person too. Let's talk about your marriage. Yeah. You are married to a woman. Sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I still come a little bit from that discreet spelled wrong era where <laughs> it's it's like, God, I can't talk about this. My wife doesn't know. I can't be blah, 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 blah. And yeah. again, it's sort of like when I came to terms with my polyness and joined that community, it was like, oh, here there are queer men who are married to women and their wives know and are completely cool with it. And a small subset of men who are exploring their sexuality and their female partners are definitely not cool with it. But the former outweighs the latter. This is going to sound like a very basic question, but how do you deal with that? How does that work for you? How does that relationship? I guess maybe to switch that a little bit, when you two met, what was that situation? Right. Well, I I was going to answer it by going back to when we met, because I think for many people in my book and other people I've talked to, especially bi men, many of people don't realize it until later in life. And so it's pretty common to meet your wife or your partner before you fully accepted this, before you're out. So a lot of people have to come out to their wives or decide do I want to be monogamous or poly while they're inside of a marriage? So that's really challenging. And there are obviously ways the book explains what happened to a lot of these people and how you can move through through that. 
But I feel lucky in some ways because I met my wife early in the process of all this, but after I was out and after I was accepting of myself and comfortable, and I was already sort of questioning monogamy also and thinking about non-monogamy. So we actually met at my first Pride in New York City in 2018, and I was marching with the bi contingent in the Pride March. And we met after the march was over in Washington Square Park through a mutual friend. So my wife knew I was by the, the minute we met. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even have no to come out. conversation that needs to take place. Yeah, I was wearing a bi sticker or tattoo or something. And we talked about how I had just marched with the bi group. So I didn't have to, have to do that. And I actually think that that was part of why my wife was interested in me. We ended up hooking up that night at Pride and then we kept dating after Quick that. work? Yeah, it was like an instant attraction type scenario. But so my wife is trans and when we met in 2018, she was not out. I don't even know if she fully understood that and she definitely had not transitioned. So when we met, she was uh, presenting as man. Right. And I think that because she knew I was bi, she had only dated men. She had identified as gay. But I think in her mind, she knew in some level she was questioning her gender in the background and that gay men might not be open to her transitioning. And that may have been kind of holding her back because she knew she's attracted to men, but she can't date a straight man yet. And so I think she heard, oh, bye, man, this could give me some space and freedom to explore my gender, which is exactly what happened. Within a month of dating each other, she told me that she was questioning her gender and sort of in her head identified somewhere in the middle of the gender spectrum. Oh, sorry. You want me to wait for that? It's fine. <laughs> it's Brooklyn. People it is are going to hear background noise. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She told me that she was somewhere in the middle. And soon after that, she wanted to identify as non-binary. She came out as that eventually. And then it sort of progressed from there. And that would be valid too if she had stayed in the non-binary identity, but she realized she was trans. She has medically transitioned. She uses she, her now. But because it was all kind of out there on the table when we met, it's just been something we've always been able to talk about. And as these fluid things have shifted, we've just kept talking about it and tried to be open and honest about it. And the same goes with the poly non-monogamy aspect of it. Like we were pretty non-monogamous at first. At one point she wanted to try monogamy and I sort of reluctantly agreed to it and then actually found some nice benefits of it and was surprised by some of the nice things that came from that. Then we opened things up again. Then the pandemic happened and we became monogamous again for a year and then we opened things up again after the vaccines came out. And I know a lot of people struggle with this within a marriage of how can I explore other things and fulfill these other desires and also remain in my marriage. And it's not for everyone. Some people are monogamous by nature and you can't force this on anyone who doesn't want it. But we both like it and we keep communicating about what our boundaries are and what we're comfortable with and what we like and what we don't. And so it's an ongoing conversation, but it has allowed us to explore dating other people and sex with other people pretty freely. And I love it. I love that we get to be in a relationship and have what we have, but also not have these expectations that the primary relationship is everything or that it has to be everything that we can just let it be what it is and not force things that aren't there. And we can also explore outside of this and find those things elsewhere. And also that I don't have to be everything for her. That takes pressure off me, which I like. And when she has an experience with someone else, especially if it's something that I'm not that into, or if she's with a person who's very different from me, I don't usually feel much jealousy around those kind of things. I feel like that's great that she can have that experience and that I don't have to be everything. And I don't know. It's just nice. 
you're speaking my language. So I'm just like <laughs> nodding my head like, yes, I understand all of this and this all makes perfect sense to me. And it doesn't yeah. make sense to me that it doesn't make sense to other people. I know. I always say that's fine if you're monogamous. You do you and everything is valid. But I don't totally get it. <laughs> it doesn't compute to me to think about sex and relationships that way. It feels to me a little possessive. I, I'm, I don't want to put that on everybody, but if I were monogamous, that's what goes through my brain is why is it my th- thing? And also who cares? It's such a beautiful and thing to f- feel pleasure and experience pleasure and, and experience closeness with someone else and love. And, yes. and love those connections. And so why would you only want to limit that to one person one for person. your whole life? Why not experience that with many people? And I think many people's answer is, well, it makes your marriage less special. And I just don't feel that. I haven't felt that. I feel my marriage is really special regardless. And almost more so sometimes when I know that she's with other people, but then still wants to be with me and chooses to come home and be with me. That feels even more special than if we were monogamous and she had no choice but to come home to me, you know? The choice that she has makes me feel wanted and desired and good. And that's what I wonder sometimes is how many monogamous couples are out there where it's just like, this person's putting a key in the door at five or six o'clock at night and coming home to this person and just slumping their shoulders and sitting on the couch and watching TV. And they're like, eh, great. I have this person and we're in this marriage, but this is not enjoyable this isn't fulfilling and are just kind of locked into that because that's what they think they should be locked into right and you get kind of trapped in that too i think the longer that goes on and you don't talk about it then it gets harder and harder to talk about because you haven't so it builds on itself whereas for us because we're negotiating our non-monogamy boundaries all the time i mean they're not shifting that much but you know hey I want to go do this on Thursday, or is that okay? Can I use the apartment? Should I go? Out? We're just always talking about it. So then these things come up of what are you interested in and why is this in- attractive to you? And we learn more about each other by doing that. We end up communicating more about our needs and desires, r- regardless of non monogamy. It just opens up these avenues of communication, communication. that are helpful. Which, I don't know. I feel like if you love somebody, you want to and should communicate with them openly and honestly on a regular basis. Yeah. It's like so so obvious, but it's so hard for a lot of people. People. I mean, it's still hard for me, too, to be 100% open. But I think I'm pretty close and I'm conscious of it and aware. And yeah, I just think for some people, if you don't get the ball rolling then it's really hard to figure out where to start and the stakes can feel really high. And it's just kind of sad to, to think about being unable to communicate these things. And, th- and it takes me back to my late 20s when I was finally becoming aware of my bisexuality, but didn't feel like I could talk about it and wasn't ready to come out. That was the hardest period of my life. Sure. It was easier when I didn't realize it. But when you're having thoughts that you censor yourself and you feel like you can't express, it takes a real psychic toll and it contributes to a ton of mental health problems that, mm-hmm. yeah, and the silver bullet is really just communication and authenticity. I agree. Two questions. One, was there a pivotal moment or a specific thing that happened that kind of turned the knob for you? in terms of realizing your true orientation? And B, have you ever felt imposter syndrome about being bi? Yeah. Okay. Let me start with the first one, then I'll think about the second one. So yeah, the turning point was sort of like, I have a specific fetish that I haven't talked about yet on my (laughs) podcast, but I hope to soon. So I'm going to wait to break the news of what it is, but it's- I'll be listening. It's irrelevant to the story, which is that I knew I was into this thing. I had this kink. And I finally was like, I want to experience this with someone, not just online. And I couldn't find 
women on this website where I was looking at it. And there were no women who were interested or available or existing on this site. But there were a ton of men. And when I made a profile, men would reach out to me. And I resisted it for a while. But then I finally was like, you know what, I want to experience this. And we won't have sex. We'll just do this kinky thing, but we won't have sexual contact. So I I set a limit. So I'm like, okay, I'm still straight if I do this. It's just by necessity because I want to do this thing. So then I did it and we didn't have any sexual contact. We were clothed, but it was clearly arousing and it was clearly a kinky experience, like a fetish thing. And I left from that thinking like, that was this click moment. I was like, that was really fun, first of all. And I didn't feel that weird. And this guy made me feel very comfortable. We're friends to this day. We're actually pretty close and in the same industry, it turns out. And he was very nice and made me feel comfortable and was totally fine with something non-sexual. But I left and I was like, you know what? That was sexual. Even if we didn't touch each other, that was a sexual experience with a man I just had. And I liked it. And I didn't feel like it changed who I was. It didn't have to change the trajectory of my entire life. Although in hindsight, it did in a good way. But in my head at the time, I was scared of the way it would change my life. And in the moment, I realized, I don't think anything terrible is going to happen from accepting this. I think there's probably positive things that could come. And I just kind of realized the gender of the person doesn't really matter. And and I was accepting the fetish thing at the same time, too. And I was kind of like, if I can put myself out there in that way, why does gender matter to me so much? It felt good. And so then it was a series of small steps. I was like, okay, I'll do this fetish thing again with someone else. Okay, maybe I'll try something that's not fetish related with a guy that's very low stakes for me. And I just went step by step doing more and more and everything felt good and comfortable, at least from a gender perspective. It didn't feel wrong. It felt right. And so, yeah, looking back, that was the turning point. Okay. Your other question was about, do I have imposter syndrome about being bisexual? Yeah. I think I did. And also being bisexual in the heteronormative presenting relationship. I think that I had a lot of imposter syndrome at the beginning because I didn't quite believe yet that bisexuality was real. Mm. Even in the process that I'm talking about, I still had all these doubts of, am I lying to myself? Am I really attracted to women or have I been stuck in a heteronormative way of thinking and trying to be attracted to women, but actually now that's going to disappear. And I had a lot of imposter syndrome about that. And after I started hooking up with men, I would then want to hook up with women to like prove to myself that I was bisexual. And that isn't a good place to be in. And it's not a good way to hook up with women because when I went in thinking this will be proof of my sexuality, it raised the stakes way too much. And it gave me performance anxiety. And that made me think, oh no, I'm not bi. It was this terrible cycle that I think a lot of bi men have gone through. And I talked about that with a therapist. I learned some strategies. I tried to get more in touch with my body. I had to get more comfortable with asking for what I wanted and telling people what felt good and that communication intimately. And then once I sort of got over that hump, I realized I was bi. I had more sex with women that I didn't have anxiety around and that even though I shouldn't have to prove my bisexuality to anyone or to myself, it did help affirm that for me. And it it did help me feel like, okay, this is real. I'm attracted to women. I'm just anxious about sexuality in general. But that anxiety has subsided and it's work I'm continuing to do. And I just now have enough evidence, even though I shouldn't need the evidence, I do have enough. You are what you are. I have enough for myself to be satisfied that I am really bi, very much so, that gender, it can change an experience in some ways, but it isn't a disqualifier. It isn't categorically different. It's all about the person. Gender is one aspect of a person, but not such a big factor for me. 
And so I, I feel like I don't have as much imposter syndrome anymore, if any, and especially because I'm working on this book and talking to a lot of other people in straight passing marriages with imposter syndrome. And it's just helped me process it a lot and realize that we are valid. We're queer, even though we're in a straight passing marriage. And it's made me be intentional and active about being part of queer communities, because I've learned from interviewing people that that's the hardest thing is that people will make assumptions and you lose your access to the queer community. And, you know, my partner is straight, but she's also trans. So she feels connected to the LGBT community. I think if you have a cis straight partner who has never had a connection to the queer community, that can be hard because how do you go to queer spaces together? And you might have to talk about that and figure that out and negotiate it. But being intentional about being in those spaces and identifying proudly and publicly as queer, all those things have helped me not to feel too heteronormative, even within this marriage. And so it's really important to me to have that connection to the community. And I think it's important, even as, like, we talk about straight privilege, but I think specific to you, because you're in a heteronormative marriage, and specific to some people who aren't even married, there is straight passing privilege. There are a lot of people who still think that queerness means that you act a certain way, you dress a certain way, you talk a certain way, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's the whole stereotype thing. And I think as I've gotten older, I've thought this more strongly, that people who have the ability to pass for straight but are not have a responsibility to be louder about their queerness. The benefit of the people who don't have a choice in passing. Right. I I do agree with that. And I feel that because I mean, the whole reason I wrote this book is to tell people, hey, there's this hidden group and we're here and many people are struggling because 80 something percent of bi men who are married to women are not out as bi to to most people. So I, I do feel that responsibility. And I think for some people, that can feel really scary or like, Oh, it's not my job. And that's true. It's no one's job. You don't owe anyone anything. You don't owe anyone an explanation. But I will say that in addition to it helps other people to be visible, it will mostly help you. It mostly helps me to be active and visible because it integrates this important aspect of my life fully. And when you're not out, no matter how much you talk about it with your partner, think about it on your own, there's a disconnect. And that's hard. It can feel hard to come out, but it's also hard to not and to have things you can't say in public or things you keep to yourself. And yeah, that disconnect can be difficult. So I agree with you about the responsibility, but I would also add that it's beneficial to the person too. I agree. Being in the closet sucks. Yeah. Coming out is... Ultimately, it's a big step, but it's also a huge load off your shoulders. And it's so nice to interact with people without having to think about what this person might or might not know about me or might or might not think about me. You can just kind of be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's pre-coming out Rob and Mm post-coming out Rob. Your pre-coming out people, how have they integrated into this post coming out life how how is my person myself before integrated with this your your friends and family who knew you as one thing are now adapting into this new to them thing oh oh pretty well overall i mean i was scared before i came out like what will everyone think but pretty great reactions across the board especially over time. At this point, everyone is very accepting and thinks the work I'm doing is cool. And I don't get much, if any, backlash from people in my life. I think the biggest thing about coming out as bi at the beginning that maybe surprised me was there were very few negative reactions. Everyone kind of said the right thing. 
but there was a lot of confusion and questions. A lot of people who had known me for a long time had a lot of questions about how do I know I'm bisexual? What is bisexual? You know, how do I know I'm not just gay or from my family, stuff like, do I still want children? And am I monogamous or not? All these other things around it and just a lot of misunderstandings and questioning. And I felt like I kind of had to become a source of information for people. Like I had to explain a lot to people. I, I, in some ways, I wish I didn't have to do that. And I wish other people don't have to do that because it was a lot of energy and effort and emotional labor. And I had done all this research for myself. So I had a lot of knowledge to share. So at the time I felt like I want to share this. I want to explain everything, but it did take an emotional toll to be met with that level of confusion from some people. I, on the other hand, because I did that, I think that sort of led to the podcast and getting comfortable with this. It was almost like I was already doing it with everyone I met. And it got to the point where I kind of liked having these conversations and I liked giving everyone the buy 101, you know, speech. And so the more I did it, the more I was just like, I want to tell everyone, not just people who I know in my life, but I want everyone to know this. And I don't want all the bi people coming out to have to explain it for themselves necessarily. So maybe I should create this resource and create this podcast. So it all led to where I am now. And I'm happy for the journey. But I will say at the very beginning, it was a lot of explanations and a lot of confusion from other people and a lot of questions, which was challenging. How does masculinity play into all this? Um, Whether it's living currently as a bi man, coming to the conclusion that you were a bi man, how does being a man and the socialization of what a man is supposed to be playing to all of that? Very much, very much. And it's complicated. I'll try to unpack it. So I, I never fully conformed with the box of what it means to be masculine. I did in many ways. I was good at sports and athletic and like strong and tall. And I grew (laughs) hair at a young age and stuff like that. But I was also very artsy and sensitive and into musical theater and just had interests that were more traditionally feminine. I repressed a lot of that or, or I knew it, but I didn't like to talk about it. I mean, the musical theater for as one example of others, like I, I was very into it. I saw a lot of Broadway shows. I think that's part of why I became a writer and I I would love to write for the theater, even though I've mostly done TV, but it wasn't something I would talk to my friends about, or like I would only play the show tunes in my car by myself, not around anyone else and other aspects of my sensitivity and my feelings. I didn't talk about those either. I presented like, I'm good, I'm fine kind of demeanor throughout high school, college. And then I definitely think wanting to conform as a man and be masculine kept me closeted for a little longer than I wanted to be. Like, I didn't realize I was bi for a while, but then once I sort of started to, it didn't feel like what a man should be in my head at the time. I thought it was not masculine to be into men. You know, I had a lot of internalized homophobia around that, but it definitely felt like it conflicted with my concept of masculinity. And then I just pushed through and came out, even though I was scared of those things. And now it's totally flipped my conception of what masculinity is. And now I look at it as those things I thought I needed to conform to and was striving to be, though that's just the box that society creates and it's pretty much bullshit. And certainly there are things about that box that are perfectly good and normal. And if those things describe you, lean into those things. And some of it is me, but my version of masculinity now is all about authenticity and being honest and open about who you are and just getting in touch with who you really are, not trying to make yourself a certain way. And so whatever that is, 
if you're able to express that and be comfortable with it, that's the ideal version of masculinity to me. Even if it's all 100% things we traditionally look at as feminine, then you're doing a great job as a man if you're leaning into those things, if that's who you are. And so I'm probably somewhere close to the middle. Like There are a lot of traditionally masculine things I identify with, but my real goal as a man and to, to promote healthy masculinity is to be myself, whatever that means, and to be comfortable with all the parts of me. On, on the spectrum of masculinity to femininity. I love that journey. I feel like everybody, whether they know it or not, is on some kind of journey. So yeah. it's important to recognize it and take that information and move forward with it. Yeah. Um, and I think every, everyone has something that they they are ashamed of or that there's a conflict in them and whether it's about sexuality or masculinity or, or anything else, trauma and like confronting those things and getting comfortable with those things. I mean, it's really hard, but it's very powerful because if you can confront whatever the scary thing is in your life, it changes how you approach so many other things that are maybe less scary on the spectrum, but still there. Like, if you confront the scariest parts, then you kind of can do anything. It gives you the superpower of why do I care what people think? I'm going to listen to what I believe. That's so important. I, you're speaking my language, Rob. I really appreciate that. <laughs> it's easier uh, said than done, but it's possible. Yeah, it's definitely possible. And baby steps are still steps. I don't know that anyone has to, you know, you're not going to go from grappling with your sexuality or being in a closet to waving a pride flag. Right. But right. acknowledging it to yourself, acknowledging it to a partner, acknowledging it to a friend, it's all baby steps. No one's saying you yeah. have to be on Instagram with like flags in your profile picture or, or anything like that. But I, I think right. there are so many guys out there who won't even acknowledge it to themselves. Yeah. And I have conversations with some of those guys. And it's just like, what's scaring you? What's stopping you? You did something, you enjoyed it, you're attracted to something that isn't, maybe not what you've been socialized to believe is who you are, but it's who you are. If you liked it, fuck it. You are what it is. You know, it's fine. Right. I I think that's also such an important point about taking baby steps because that's exactly what I did. And sitting here today, I'm like, be yourself, do anything you want. Everything is fine. And easy for me to say after five years of baby steps, but that's what it was. And when you're at the beginning of that, it maybe seems impossible to be comfortable with all of it. That's normal. All I would encourage people to do is take one step, like tell one person, acknowledge it to yourself. The first step that feels doable to you, do that because that's all it takes to start. And the next step will present itself when it's ready to be there. And it will feel less scary because you're one step closer. And it was really a series of little steps for me over many years. Right. So got the podcast, you got the book, you're doing all this stuff. Is there an evolutionary step here? Or are you just like, I did what I got to do. I'm going to find some other stuff that keeps me occupied now. I guess it's a little of both. On the one hand, I am really proud of this book and this topic. And I think there's so much work to do to spread awareness of this. I want the book to to get in a lot of hands. I'm working on TV projects that are related to the book, both fiction and nonfiction to kind of normalize this and humanize it. And so there's more work to do in this area. I do feel that. At the same time, I know I'm evolving and like, look, I think I'm somewhere now, but there's always more steps. There's always the next thing. And I don't totally know what that is, to be honest, but I know there's something. I know there's some level of awareness and new things to unpack that I'm sure I haven't yet. And so I can't fully say where it's going, but I'm pretty confident that it's still evolving and that there's still 
more discoveries to be made and and knowledge to gain and self-awareness. So I'll keep in touch and I'll let you know what happens next. I know there's more. I just don't know exactly what it is. And that's kind of exciting too. I don't know. I used to think of like, here's my goal. Here's what I want. I want to have my own TV show and be a showrunner and have a family and kids and a white picket fence. And I still have goals, certainly in different areas of my life, but I'm also less focused on the details of that perfect vision of the future. And I'm more just like, if I'm following what I'm interested in, and I'm being myself in the process, it will lead to something cool. Amen. Um, And now for the last question, I'm going to ask you something that is completely unrelated to anything we've talked about so far. Uh Uh-oh. You've worked on SVU. Yeah. What is the MSG that they put into SVU to make it so addictive? I, you know, whenever I think of SVU, I think of a particular person that I dated. And we would lay on the couch and watch marathons. Mm -hmm. And it's so addictive. What is it about SVU that makes it so fucking addictive? We could do a whole episode on this. You know, Dick Dick Wolf, back in the day, he created these shows. He was on to something where there is a formula, but there's a new story and new characters each time. And I think what's sort of addicting about it is that it's simple, but it's that combo. And especially with the cop show and the mystery, you're going to solve the mystery each time. There isn't always the easy answer at the end or verdict, but... You're going to be presented with a question or a mystery, and you're going to have the answer by the end, and you're not going to know what's going on in the middle. And that's just like an an intriguing format, because with storytelling in general, we like to learn about people and see them, and we want to know the answer when there's questions presented. In my writing, whether it's a mystery crime show or not, You want some unanswered questions at the beginning of your script that you can slowly unravel and answer. That's what keeps people kind of hooked is, oh, what was that? I wonder what that means. Or I wonder what's going to happen with that. Unanswered questions is important in storytelling. And SVU is just like, that is the exact format of every episode is some unanswered question. And that will be resolved. So by the end of this episode, you'll get an answer of some kind. And then I think it's that on top of like, I just love Mariska and I think she's a genius actor and that character, she's great. And that character is so lovable and you feel at home with her among other cast members on the show who have come and gone. I think the show SVU in particular does a really good job of building those characters and you just trust them and you get to know them and you feel at home with them. And so that combo of that plus answering the mystery each week, it keeps people coming back. And it, yeah, it it's made Dick does. Wolf a very wealthy man. Very wealthy man. Okay. Final, final question related. Have you met Christopher Maloney in person? Once. So I literally got the job when he left the show There was a showrunner change. The writer's room moved from LA to New York. I was living in New York. And we started writing the show with him in it. And two weeks or three weeks into working on that show, we found out that they couldn't figure out his contract. He wasn't coming back. So I never met him for years. I was there when he was gone. And then one day, I think it was my last season there, second to last, He just stopped by the studio and was saying hi to people he knew. And I introduced myself and said, hey, I'm a writer. Nice to meet you. And that was basically it. He was very nice. I remember standing in the hallway with him and I chatted with a group for five or 10 minutes and then he moved on. And so that's literally my entire interaction with him in my life. I think he's great. He's a wonderful actor. I love him in Wet Hot American Summer, among other things. He's great in everything. And he's also... ridiculously fucking hot he is yeah you know those peloton ads those were fun yes Yes. yeah those became a big meme on social media that i enjoyed yes i actually never saw oz but i would love to see maloney in some kind of queer drama or comedy he's so funny i would love to write something for him someday but even after seven years at svu i never had the chance to write for him and now he's back but i'm on organized crime but i'm 
gone. So I, I still never wrote a line for him ever. Well, I will manifest that. Put that into the universe for that yeah. to happen. And then you can tell me yeah. all about it. Yeah, but I will say, well, just in terms of meeting your heroes, one quick thing is one of the first bi men I was ever aware of was Raul Esparza. Because I mentioned I was into Broadway and I had seen him in a in a show called Company and he was playing that character. You can take his bisexuality out of that show. It's possible. But the way it was written and intended, I think that that character is, is bi. Uh, that's just how I read it. And there's a song that was cut that kind of explains it more. And then I learned that he was bi and, and I just loved his performance and fell in love with him as an actor. And then my second year at SVU, he joined the show yes. unexpectedly as the DA. And I just remember being in an elevator with him once before we really knew each other. And he was talking about his ex-wife and mentioning his bisexuality and he was one of the first bi men I was aware of as a celebrity. He was also one of the first bi men I met in person, person and heard him talk about it. And it was really helpful for me looking back to just have it humanized and someone I respected so much to be out. And then I had this amazing life experience of becoming friends with him and becoming very close with him. And he's one of my favorite people. I'll get emotional talking about him. I love him so much. That's so awesome. Um, and it just is really special to me that we had this connection, even though I wasn't out at the time, and that we got to work together and that he, he helped me on this journey. And then we got to connect in this way is, was, I'm, I feel very lucky for that. Modeling behavior is so, 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 so important. It really is. If you're struggling with anything, to have somebody that is embodying that and living fully and authentically, and I hate that authentic has become such a buzzword lately, but it's also super important to see somebody who embodies qualities you feel in yourself and is living well, whatever yeah. that means, is living fully is super, super important. And yeah. all of us who have the capability to model behavior should do that whenever possible. Yep, exactly. I totally agree. Yeah. Well said. So thanks for what you do, Rob. It is very much appreciated. Yeah. Even Thank for those of us too. who do not consider themselves bi, but... You don't have to be bi. It's yes. Like, <laughs> I, I, I love everyone. <laughs> Indeed. Right on. on the spectrum. Thank you, Rob. I am so appreciative of your journey, and I'm glad that your journey brought you to the Detoxicity Podcast. Thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to chat. Once again, Rob's book is called Bisexual Married Men, Stories of Relationships, Acceptance, and Authenticity. Uh, get a copy of the book, even if you are not a bisexual man, a married man, a man, whatever. Uh, a lot of what he talks about in this podcast and in the book is applicable to all people, all relationship types, etc. His podcast is called Two By Guys. Uh, you can find them on Instagram at Two By Guys. Uh, the word two, as opposed to the numeral two, T W O B I G U Y S. You can also find him on IG at Robert Brooks Cohen, uh, R O B E R T B R O K S C O H E N. I don't know why I'm spelling all this stuff out now, but uh, you can find him there. And once again, Thank you, Rob, for taking your time. Hope you come back. Thank you for listening to Detoxicity. I hope you found this particular episode interesting. And if you are new, I hope you go back and listen to all of the older episodes. Uh, once again, my name is Mike Joseph. I am the host and producer of this show. And uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to continue to support our mission, continue to support this podcast. Uh, follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm on TikTok as DetoxPodGuy. Uh, you can also send me an email if you'd like. I'm at detoxpod at gmail.com. I am always on the hunt for people with interesting, inspirational, and powerful stories. So if you know somebody who fits that bill or if you yourself fit that bill, please don't hesitate to drop me a line via email or via social media. Uh, please make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, rate 
comment, help a brother out, uh, help us move up in the rankings. Uh, follow me on social media. Like I said, uh, follow our Patreon or subscribe to my Patreon, actually. Patreon.com slash DetoxicityPod. You get access to exclusive episodes. You get episodes a little earlier than the general public. You get a cool-ass sticker. Lots of stuff. Once again, Patreon.com slash DetoxicityPod. Quick shout out to Calvin Williams for providing the music and uh, doing his magic on the logo, which was originally designed by Jacob Block. I thank you all for listening. I wish you all the best. Please take care of each other. Till next time, peace. Peace.